0: Charles III, written by Isabel Cook and narrated by Sue Rodwell-Smith. I'm looking forward to our King's reign. King Charles III will be crowned on the 6th of May, 2023, in Westminster Abbey. Our new monarch will have been the longest-serving heir apparent in history. He is 74 and been preparing for the role of monarch all his life. On May the 6th, King Charles will be crowned and, as well as taking on the throne, will be the head of state for over 15 nations. He has a wealth of experience and ability and is ready for the task. King Charles' prince accompanied his late mother, Queen Elizabeth II, and father, the Duke of Edinburgh, on several overseas tours. In recent years, Charles has taken on more responsibilities from his mother. He has been capable in the handling of them and executed them as dutifully as she did. Over the years, as Prince of Wales, Charles naturally developed his own interests. He has proved that he can work with many people from all walks of life. King Charles is most known for the Prince's Trust project. He was a young prince when he launched it in 1976. He used money from his navy severance pay to fund several community initiatives. The Trust remains our new monarch's best known legacy. When King Charles was prince, he developed other passions architecture and painting. He paints under the name of A.G. Carrick, and one of his paintings sold recently. King Charles is also interested in the countryside and started organic farming in 1990, long before most people took notice of it. As King Charles would not be able to devote much time to his charities, however, he can take heart that his causes are well supported, particularly the environment. Given the global concerns over the environment when King Charles was Prince, made comments on the environment, has proved to be far-sighted. It is like that as King Charles wants to make few changes in future. He has said that he wishes to modernise the institution and it will run with lower costs in mind. One item on the agenda is that Queen Consort will not have so many maids of honour. The coronation is to be simplified and include more young people. These will include people from ethnic minorities, more women, and people involved in the king's charitable works. This proves that he is in step with the public at large. King Charles says that he does not wish to reside at Buckingham Palace, and this could be handed to the nation. Other palaces and houses could be trimmed back. The new king wants to focus on being head of state, and less on the pomp that goes with the title. This bodes well for the institution that runs from Anglo-Saxon times. King Charles cares deeply for the monarchy and shortly after his mother's death spoke of his commitment to uphold the constitutional principles. These are at the heart of our nation. So I say on May 6, 2023, raise a glass to our new king. We wish him and the Queen consort well and send a rousing course of long live the King. The tale you're about to hear is called Dedication to Duty, it was written by Sally Runham and is narrated by myself, Sue Smith. Lisa opened the sash window of her attic bedroom and looked over the roofs of the city towards King's College Chapel. Down below, strolling or bustling, people basked in the warm June evening, with this gentle breeze freshening what had been a stiflingly hot and humid day. Frankie, a fellow postgraduate researcher, was crossing the college courtyard, now in shadow as the sun set behind the buildings. She waved up at the window. A bit later, a text pinged and Melissa smiled, ruefully, wondering how long this charmed life would last. Single-minded study and cited publications would have to be put on hold, just as she and her research partners seemed to be on the cusp of a breakthrough in life-saving medicine. Melissa's career was about to take off, but family news dreaded for months would hold her back. Melissa's stepmother, Angie, had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. After battling the disease for months, the family had come to terms with the prognosis and were making plans. Angie and Duncan, Melissa's father, had juggled hospital appointments with work and looking after their five-year-old twins, Melissa's half-siblings. Angie needed extra care and Duncan sought a childminder to help with the children. Melissa supported this plan at first, which would let her career flourish, but lately she felt the need to be a bigger factor in their care equation. Melissa had never known her own mum, who had died giving birth to Matthew, Melissa's brother, who had just gone up to Oxford. Duncan had put his personal ambition on hold to raise the youngsters. Very successfully, thought Melissa. When they became teenagers, Duncan met Angie, who relished in her stepmother role, freeing Duncan to further his own career. Melissa knew this would stall just as it had nearly 20 years ago, if Melissa did not now intervene. Turning back into the ancient study bedroom with its sloping roof and wooden beam, Melissa turned on the TV, showing a programme celebrating the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Seventy years of being a Queen, thought Melissa, imagining that role. Princess Elizabeth was just twenty-five when she acceded to the throne, said the reporter. The same age I am now, Melissa thought. Queen Elizabeth, now ninety-six years old, said she remembered that day as much for the loss of her father, King George VI, as for the role she was destined to take on. Seventy years of faithful duty, but a lifetime rewarded by the love and gratitude of millions this won't be duty melissa declared to herself after days spent considering taking on full-time support of angie and the twins it'll be love coming to the tavern asked the text from frankie it wasn't a request melissa had to go it was decision time be there soon replied melissa about to turn off the tv i wasn't alone said her majesty responding to the interviewer i had philip to help me and lots of experienced courtiers i had love and fun for my older children melissa thought of the roles played by the two eldest children of the monarch missing out on a lot of their own parents focused attention they had yet become good parents to the queen's grandchildren in addition to a lifetime of public service much of it groundbreaking She switched off and dashed down the spiral stairs to meet her friend and her future. It wasn't just Frankie at the pub. Their course tutor was there too, who clearly expected Melissa to confirm her plans for the coming academic year. Alongside them was the professor at an American university. The choice was hers, realised Melissa. A world-renowned scientific breakthrough for her as part of a cracking research team or taking on the duty of loco parenting to release her father to fulfil his ambitions. This was probably Duncan's last chance to break into the big time in financial software. Professor Wakeman was in deep conversation with Frankie, who must have told him about Melissa's predicament. Frankie handed Melissa her drink, as the Folsom thrashed out a future in the twilight courtyard of the pub. ''Things have moved on, Melissa,'' said the Professor. On a flying visit to recruit the best researchers for his multi-million dollar project your work can fit in with school hours and we'll link up with researchers worldwide online to keep every money in the loop melissa suddenly realized that she could have her jubilee cake and eat it too she could do her duty surrounded by the love of her family and still fulfill her destiny as a scientist in this platinum jubilee year Let's celebrate those who go to bed exhausted after fulfilling duties and providing care for those around, yet who wake next day bent on striving towards their dream of a better world. Afternoon Tea Fit for Our Queen Written by Sally Runham and narrated by myself, Sue (laughs) Rodwell-Smith. Straining his eyes on a pitch-black night, Richard scanned the village hall and could see no sign of occupants. No cars were parked. And the access road was also clear of vehicles. Where was his accomplice Kelvin, he wondered. Kelvin had told Richard the whereabouts of the brick and tile building and the combination for the lock, memorised from his aunt's private papers. On the edge of the popular village, this large well-appointed modern structure had replaced a run-down facility in the village centre, sold for over-sixties housings. Use most nights, Rich, but not on Thursdays. That's our best chance. Kelvin had pumped his aunt for information about the event to celebrate the Platinum Jubilee. At the Silver Jubilee, 45 years ago, villagers had put their best silver on display. At the current high precious metal prices, it was worth investigating this time. I've never broken into a village all before, Kelv. There's no point. What's of any value anyway? It's a one-off, Rich, because of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, you know. Richard had then researched the likely hall. There would be silver tea sets, serving dishes and cutlery owned by ardent royalists who would lend them for the event. The valuable antiques would be there only for a couple of days, running up to the Jubilee afternoon tea the following Saturday. The silver was to be laid on trestle tables, covered with starched white linen tablecloths with sufficient seating for everyone in the village. Those of the same age or older than Her Majesty would be guests of honour. The crafters had crocheted doilies for the silver cake stands. The gardening group would provide posies of the Queen's favourite flowers. What sort of all do you expect? Richard asked Kelvin. Let's work it out. A silver tea set costs well nearly a grand. There'll be over 20 sets, plus cake stands, serving dishes and cutlery. At least 30 grand. Kelvy's aunt, Glynis, was on the organising committee and she had chatted about the event to him as he seemed unusually interested and even offered her nephew an advanced tasting of the winning jubilee recipe. He had been enjoying his cake earlier this evening before aiming to meet and help Richard. Glynis had been a counsellor and a magistrate, but had now been retired for over 10 years. Ever busy in her working life, she bustled about underpinning community activities. Kelvin was surprised that Glynis didn't suspect how he managed to run a nice car and take several holidays abroad each year. She's losing the plot a bit now, he had thought, but noted she had not forgotten to show off her own valuable tea set. Featured on Antiques Night at the Village Hall earlier in the year, the guest expert had valued the pristine Georgian set at over £50,000. That was the main target for tonight's raid. Calvin had checked it was insured, but he knew it meant more than money to his aunt. Thinking of that wonderful tea set whilst waiting for Calvin to appear outside the Village Hall, Richard decided not to delay any longer. He entered the hall without his accomplice, fumbling with his torch to identify the best items, wrap them in towels and stuff them into his bags. Glynis snuck out quietly and walked towards the village hall, joining the others gathered in the shrubbery, all wearing dark clothes. They spotted a van hidden in the undergrowth. At a silent sign from their leader, They spread out, blending into the trees and hedges around the empty car park. Exiting the village hall was a man in dark clothes, with a rucksack slung over his shoulder and carrying two more bags. He put down the heavy bags for a moment and seemed to be looking for someone in the dark. His swear word was the last noise, until those of the group who could safely approach from behind swamped him with a huge blanket wrestled him to the ground and tied him into a bundle, carefully removing his valuable haul first. The following Saturday, everyone turned up and it was a wonderful occasion, one to stay in memories for decades to come. Glynis's Georgian tea set took pride of place and the winning cake from a recipe devised by the village school kitchen staff was tasted by all. Richard was safely stowed in the county jail. Kelvin had fallen asleep on Glynis' sofa that previous Thursday evening after devouring several slices of cake, doctored with sleeping tablets. She had bound him hand and foot and put a gag over his mouth. Her errant nephew would not bring shame on her family under her watch, she decided. The next morning he had been packed off to a distant relative for a fresh start with new identification. One last chance, Glynis had advised her nephew. You have your freedom. Now do your public duty for the next 70 years to earn it. You must realize that some people aren't monarchists and uh, we have to put the other side so this is a poem by james parker and it's called ode to king charles the a poem for the new monarch. the trees grown like morrissey the rain comes down and an owl hoots confidentially knowing something i don't millions will mourn your departed mother and millions won't south from scotland to darkly dripping london flag draped and ghostly illumined in the back of the glass-topped hearse. Her coffin souped over the westway, doled round Hyde Park and into the next age. Your age, which will, we trust, be worse. What a lady she was, with legs well hosed and emotion foreclosed. She broadcast nonetheless a compact and saintly liveliness, permitting no pique or peeve to perturb her throne, unlike you, who appear to be somewhat tantrum-prone. Immortal now in the world's lens is a spectacle of you losing it over those bloody pens, your roast-beef hands fussing and fluttering, ludicrous words you were uttering. Are you up to the gig, O mystical monarch? Yours is a complex path. You've read your Blake and you've read your Young, and every evening a manservant runs your bath. They buried her royally and we watched it loyally, munching our cereal while feeling funereal. We're the best at this. We do it so well. The nodding plume and the dolorous bell. And what's coming next? Who can tell? This is a Jubilee poem written by Colin Reeve and narrated by me, Sue Rodwell-Smith. This Jubilee, this time for fun Recalling all the good she's done The voice, the figurehead, our all Where nothing's found to be too small Silently and dignified, our queen, our life our British pride. From youthful girl to be much more, to stand for what we all stand for. The years have passed at such a speed and she has witnessed people's needs. From lofty perch beneath her crown, of village, city and little town. She is our Queen, our English Rose. She's his, she's hers. She's ours. She's those. Everyone has felt her touch. We love her lots. We love her much. A Life to Celebrate, written by Isabel Cook and narrated by myself, Sue Rodwell Smith. A day to celebrate, a lifetime of achievement, one of dedication and duty. I was born in 1951 and so only remember the coronation from the television. What must it have been like for the young queen to ride in the golden coach with Prince Philip by her side. Her face beaming, she waved a white-gloved hand at hundreds of thousands of people. They were all straining to catch a glimpse of them. The young woman, who would serve loyally for 70 years, was catapulted into the position after the death of her father in 1952 finding herself in westminster abbey in 1953 the crown of england on her head what thoughts must have been going through her mind a crown is heavy and i'm sure not easy to wear but her posture was faultless and she carried it off with poise and dignity i am not privileged to know the queen but i see a strong and confident woman who is compassionate and thoughtful. The nation has had many tribulations and achievements in equal measure. We have had a pandemic from which her Majesty contracted COVID. She thankfully recovered. She is frailer now, but her inner strength and sense of beauty still spurs her on. Like the beacons, ring the bells, celebrate, the Queen's reign. It is history in the making. She has reigned longer than Queen Victoria. She's the longest reigning monarch. Beacons were lit originally for communication which has since progressed to represent unity and hope. Rejoice! Queen Elizabeth is a worthy monarch and one who deserves her place in history. The country celebrated the Queen's coronation, rousing crowds gathered. A young Queen sat in the golden coach looking out of the open windows, there was no trace of nerves. She was the principal actress and gave a faultless performance. Then there is the balcony where her public can see her. She is vulnerable to harm on such occasions and her hope is security is tight. The notion of her days are spent idly is a myth. The Queen works hard and one hopes that Her Majesty will enjoy her Platinum Jubilee as much as her public. It is hoped that she will not overreach herself and only attend events that she feels comfortable attending. Many countries do not have a royal house and recent events within the family and dearest even more to Her Majesty. We can be thankful for members of that royal family for the loyalty to the Queen, our country and the Commonwealth. Many changes within the country since the 1950s have taken place. I remember never having to lock the doors. If someone popped in and borrowed a cup of sugar, it was always returned. Now, We have double locks and security cameras. The Royal House too has had to modernise. Her Majesty has seen many changes. The children are the finger and thumb generation. Technology has taken over. However, the Queen has taken everything in her stride and opened accounts with Facebook and Instagram. Many generations have grown up knowing that Queen Elizabeth is on the throne and crowds still gather to see processions as they wind their way along the mile. Her Majesty then waves to the public from the balcony. Television intrudes on people's grief but it is done with due reference and respect. It also transmits joyful events and the jubilee is a joyous occasion. There may never be a Platinum Jubilee for a rainy monarch, so this is very important to celebrate. The Victoria Sponge was made in honour of Queen Victoria, and the Lemon and Amaretto Jubilee trifle is to celebrate our present Queen. There are special events taking place all over the country, marking this jubilee from tea in the park to glamorous evening entertainments where members of the royal household attend. Some members of the public are to be nominated for special jubilee awards. There are different categories to be nominated for. I'm sure whomever receives one will be honoured to do so. In this unprecedented time of the uncertainty of Covid, and what is happening in Eastern Europe, it is good that the country unite to celebrate the Jubilee. This is what the Queen stands for. We do unite behind her. She brings the country together. We have rejoiced with her. We have shared sorrow with her. I'm sure that Her Majesty has many wonderful jewels, but she herself is the most special jewel in the crown that our country possesses. Celebrate this and rejoice in the Jubilee. We are all part of this history together. the monarch written by isabel cook and narrated by sue rodwell smith our new king more at home in the country the duchy has done well more at home by the river fields and fell the city is calling likewise the town adorned in robes of fine irvine, as you wear the crown elizabeth the great her destiny is done now we welcome her beloved son. The crown sits righteously upon his head. We wish him well on his journey as our new king and we hope and pray that he may bring as his mother before great pride and rejoicing in what his reign has in store. To be anointed as king is not an easy task. It brings intrusion into private lives and is a huge ask. With the woman he loves by his side, we pay for strength and wisdom to be his guide. Our loyalty we freely give to you, and may we all raise a glass as we sing, God save our monarch, our beloved King. The King's Runaway Crown, a coronation caper, written by Rosalind Spark and illustrated by Ian Smith. It's coronation day and it's tense, and not just at the palace. Everyone who has a part to play is feeling nervous, from the king to the pigeons in Trafalgar Square. Then Colin, the king's little dog, snatches the crown and runs off with it. A huge train of people chase after him. The butler, the palace guards, the coach driver with Diamond and Ruby the horses, the pigeons and all the people waiting to watch. Fortunately, a little girl called Violet brings calm and order back and, as everyone admits to their nerves, everyone feels better. It's always fun watching the crowd of pursuers grow bigger in stories like this, but the message that it's normal to be nervous is one we can all appreciate, king and commoner alike. The King's Hats, written by Sheila May Bird and illustrated by Mark Beach. Less a case of having big shoes to fill, and more about the weight of bearing the royal crown on one's head, Sheila Maybird's The King's Hats is a bright and breezy picture book that strikes a balance between payfulness and exploring the worries of not living up to expectations. The king put on his heavy crown, it felt so hot and tight. His dear mamma had worn it well, on her it looked just right. Such is the troublesome situation newly crowned King Charles III find himself in. When his wife advises, Do not worry, dear, I know your job is new, but go and find your happy place and work out what to do. King Charles heads straight to his beloved garden, where his old friend Tom the Gardener sagely points out that King Charles will be required to wear all kinds of hats in the course of his duties, among them hard hats, surgical hats, parade hats and party hats. Of course, as Tom also pointed out, sometimes you must wear your crown and you will smile and wave. Your crown is very heavy, but remember kings are brave. With a great to read aloud rhyming text and Mark Beecher's characterful illustrations adding to the warm hearted vibe, they really are spot on in terms of facial expression and detail. The King's Hats explores being brave and finding courage through a majestically fun story. King Charles, written by Maria Isabel Sanchez Vigara and illustrated by Matt Hunt. The coronation of the new king provides a timely moment to look back on his life and, in particular, to remind young readers of his adulthood and long, long years as a Prince of Wales, during which he has promoted his lifelong commitment to encouraging people to live in harmony with nature. Both the good and the difficult things in King Charles's life are covered using words and pictures that are suitably neutral in tone, are suitably making this an excellent and informative introduction to the subject. The King's Pants Written and illustrated by Nicholas Allen The King cannot rule without his raw pants, he has a pair for every occasion. Coronation pants, he can't be crowned without them. Organic pants, edible in royal emergencies. And even inflatable space pants, because one never knows when they might come in handy. But in a box of shorts blunder at the Royal Mail, the king's undies have been posted to his subjects nationwide. With his wife France gone wandering, how will the king possibly cope? Hear ye, hear ye introducing the book to celebrate the coronation of King Charles III. An irreverent, fun way to celebrate his royal event. The King's Pants is sure to delight and entertain the youngest of royal subjects and all the family. And finally, The Boy Who Would Be King by Michael Mopogo, illustrated by Michael Foreman. A touching and clever story by award-winning former children's laureate Michael Morpurgo gives an imaginary insight into the childhood of the future Charles III. Using the true story of Prince Charles's unhappy years in school, Mapogo weaves magic into it when the young Charles meets Alfred, a king from history, in the scene where he famously burns his cakes. Alfred has wise words about the role of a prince and the future king that help the young Charles to feel happier about his life. Michael Foreman's beautiful illustrations are exactly the right timeless quality. Now here's a poem by Sir Walter Scott, 1771 to 1832. I thought he was talking about King Charles II, but he was um, born much later. So I don't know what happened there. Anyway, here's a health to King Charles. Bring the bowl which you boast, flit up to the brim. To him we love most, and to all who love him. Brave gallants stand up, an avant ye base Carl, we're here death in the cup Here's a health to King Charles, though he wanders through dangerous, unaided, unknown, dependent on strangers, estranged from his own, though death is under our breath amidst forfeits and perils, his to honour and faith, and a health to King Charles. let such honours abound as time can afford the knee on the ground and the hand on the sword. But the time shall come round when, mid lords, dukes and earls, the loud trumpet shall sound. Here's a health to King Charles.
1: Thus elevated by the combined power of church and state, the Queen moves to the throne to receive the homage of her princes and peers. The Duke of Edinburgh comes to vow lifelong allegiance to his Queen. homage draws to a close, and following the celebration of Holy Communion, which forms the framework of the service, the Queen moves for a short recess to St. Edward's Chapel. Within the chapel, the Queen's robe royal is changed for a robe of purple velvet, and her crown replaced with the imperial state crown. When she appears to join her procession, the service of coronation has ended. processions which accompanied the guests to the abbey join into one enormous column to advance before Her Majesty on the journey back to the palace. Queen Salotti of Tonga waves a warm greeting. Up Whitehall heads the procession. Marching in perfect precision are the Royal Marines. Through Trafalgar Square moves the coach, on towards Piccadilly, the first stage of the extended route through the capital. Already the head of the procession is passing up East Carriage Drive and through Marmalade. Men from nearly 50 lands over which the Queen holds sway are united in the mammoth parade that is the Empire's tribute to their sovereign lady. Hiding in the great procession are four field marshals, Montgomery, Ironside, Alexander and Auchinleck. coach moves into the mall, and those who cheered Her Majesty's procession to the Abbey acclaim her again. Elizabeth, the crowned Queen of Great Britain and the Commonwealth. In triumph the Queen returns to her palace, which she left more than five hours before. As the coach moves away from sight, the crowd surges forward in a spontaneous gesture of affection. Now to delight the thousands below, the Queen and her family step onto the balcony. What pride shall those who watch recall in after years? I saw the Queen on Coronation Day. The royal party glance up as squadrons of RAF jet fighters sweep past in tribute. Elizabeth, so proud a name she bears. One that spelled greatness for our country in another age. Elizabeth crowned the head of a great family of nations.
2: Long may she reign.